0: Good morning our scripture reading for today is taken from the book of matthew and i'm reading from chapter 6 verses 9 through 13 Um, and i'm reading from the esv pray then like this our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is God's word. Just last week, we started our fall study of the Lord's Prayer, which, um, of which it's been said that this prayer summarizes all of Christianity, that the gospel itself is, is brought to life In the Lord's Prayer and today we're just going to focus on the invocation. Last week we saw that Jesus said pray then like this and this week the invocation, the introduction to the Lord's Prayer is our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Stop right there. That's as far as we're going to go today because this phrase our Father in heaven sets Christianity apart. You actually cannot pray until you pray these words and understand them. In a Christian sense, you cannot pray unless you understand the words, Our Father in Heaven. Uh, Not merely understand them and say them, but believe them. Now, I respect the fact that Father is difficult for us. Uh, For some of us, the, the word Father is a difficult thing to accept. Uh, because of, of the nature of human relationships and the nature of human authority. Um, uh, some of you did not have good relationships or had complicated, difficult relationships with your dads. Uh, some of you were not raised by your dads. Uh, some of you have, have been hurt by males in authority uh, or, or maybe women in authority, but um, the word father is difficult for us, isn't it? Now, the Bible isn't teaching us by the word Father that God is male in the way that, like, I am a male. As a matter of fact, there are places in the Bible where God's qualities are described in a very maternal, motherly-like way in how He cares for His children. But it seems again and again in the Bible, and especially in the Lord's Prayer, that God desires to relate to us as Father, and He desires us to relate back to Him as our Father. And actually, I think you can let Jesus redeem this word for you if you struggle with it. And actually, growing as a Christian requires that you learn to rethink what the words Heavenly Father actually mean. Because praying to a God who is our Father, it actually changes our attitude in prayer. It even changes our expectations for what prayer is and what it's for, what it's about. Now, if you're here today or if you're listening online and you're not a Christian, I'm glad you're with us. And and I will say that uh, to approach your Creator as your Heavenly Father will not only save your life, I mean that literally, It will not only save your life, but it will redeem and heal your expectations for healthy authority in your life. And so in this opening invocation, our Father in Heaven, Jesus gives us a reason to pray. He gives us the reason to pray. Christians pray because Christians belong. The Christian prays the body of Christ praise because they belong to their Heavenly Father. And as we talk about what this means, I'm going to discuss it in three different ways. First of all, we belong to God as individual sons and daughters. God specifically has thought of you, not just His people, not just the universal church or all of humanity, but even you, specifically you, every one of you in this room going to talk about belonging to God as individual sons and daughters, belonging to God corporately as a body, as a family, as a new community. And then finally, the only way to belong is through Jesus as our mediator and our Lord. So we belong individually to God. We belong corporately to Him, but only through Jesus as a mediator and a Lord and a big brother Okay, so our Father, our Father in heaven, through these words, Jesus is teaching us that we are daughters and sons of our Creator. The word Father comes up 17 times in the Sermon on the Mount alone, of which the Lord's Prayer is the very heart and center. The concept of fatherhood is one of the Sermon on the Mount's main ideas. So the most important public address that Jesus ever gave at the heart of it is the concept of God as a Father. So Jesus is conveying to His followers that that their religion, and, and really at the center of their religion, their prayer life, is a family affair. It's a family matter. This God is not your boss. He's not the president. He's not a dictator. He's not a celebrity. He's not an impersonal force. He's not a law of nature. He's a father. And he's your father, which means you're his daughter. You're his son. And you must allow the beauty of that idea and you must allow the scandal of that idea to work on you in your prayer life. Our Father in heaven. Uh, See, he didn't just say our Father. He said our Father in heaven. And that's really important. In heaven doesn't mean our Father floating in the clouds. Our Father lounging at the top of Mount Olympus and eating grapes and throwing lightning bolts at us and, and making a mess of our lives because of his sick, twisted way of looking at his creation. In heaven is all about where God reigns. Right? in heaven, that God exists and reigns beyond and outside of all that we can perceive and know and understand in the material universe that He has created. To say our Father in heaven is to say that He exists and reigns over all that He has created that we cannot see, that we cannot yet perceive, as theologians have said. This Father in heaven clarifies who God is. He is a Father not limited by your earthly conceptions of what a father is based on your perceptions and based on your experiences. He is not your abusive dad. He is not your manipulative stepdad. He is not your weak dad. He is not your absent father. Or he's not even your very good, loving, faithful funny, good-looking dad that you look. He's not even the best of dads. He is the one who created all things, as Scripture says. He is the one who dwells in unapproachable light. He is the God who is a consuming fire. Your dad is a consuming fire. Do you remember, guys, how scared Simba was? when he disobeyed Mufasa and went into, into the hyena lands. Right? He almost got himself and Nala killed. And he came back, and he was absolutely petrified of Mufasa. He knew Mufasa loved him, but, but he was so scared that he had disappointed his dad. And Mufasa is standing there so beautiful and majestic and enormous, but angry. And disappointed. Remember how scared Mufasa, uh, how scared Simba was. Okay. Well, so our heavenly Fa- Mufasa is nothing compared to our heavenly Father. He is nothing compared to our God, who is a consuming fire, who dwells in unapproachable light. So Simba's fear was appropriate, but but we dare not. We dare not pin on our Heavenly Father, any of our ideas and impressions of our failed earthly leaders and fathers and authority figures, we dare not pin on God the personality, the motives, and the failures of our own dads. And, and so this, this heavenly otherness of God the Father, this unapproachable holiness, this unsearchable wisdom, just to name a few things, right? All of this emphasizes the amazing paradox that we can actually call Him Father. And as Jesus said, Abba, that beautiful Aramaic term which meant Daddy or Papa, that scandalously intimate way of talking to God. This all emphasizing the amazing paradox that we can call Him Father. You know, despite the popular and and well-intended concept that we are all God's children, all of humanity is God's children, that's not how the Bible talks about it. All of humanity comes from God, we've all been created by Him, but, but the Bible says that by nature, because of our sin inherited from Adam and Eve, we're not by nature God's children, we're by nature His enemies. Ephesians 2 says we're by nature objects of God's wrath and that we deserve to be thought of that way by Him. However, however uh, it is only by grace, the grace of God to actually desire us and seek us out that our nature can actually change. As the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 4, we, we read this today, Paul said, "You know why God sent his only son, his beloved son into time and space and history so that we might receive adoption as sons. And sons sons is for men and women, for girls and boys, because in ancient terminology the son meant the person who is going to inherit all of the estate." Son means heir. So Paul said that's why God sent His one and only beloved Son, so that we all might receive adoption as sons. And Paul went on to say, God has sent the Spirit of His Son, the Holy Spirit, into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, just like Jesus did. And this makes all the difference in the world between man-made religion and Christianity man-made man-made religion in one way or another is all about you trying to earn your way into god's favor but christianity is just the opposite as the apostle john said not that we have loved god but that he has loved us and so in the simplest sense to be a christian to be a follower of jesus means that you see yourself as somebody that God has personally adopted as his legal child and heir. You have a seat at his table. You have a place in his house. You are like his own child. You have a new nature. You're no longer an object of wrath. You're no longer a guest. You're no longer a stranger, like we sang. You're a child at home now. And that's what it means to think of yourself as a Christian. God's adopted you. Now, we too easily default into our me-ism way of doing religion. We're very individualistic. We are individuals. God has adopted you. God has adopted you. But we become individualistic and we make our religion and our prayer life about me. And so, in a consumeristic way, we come to God with our prayers looking like shopping lists. God, these are all my needs. This is what me and my my family or me and my friends or me and my people need, God. We need all these things. And that's, that's what our prayer lives become by default. But the phrase, our Heavenly Father, Jesus, teaching us to pray this way, teaches us that we're not only individual sons and daughters, we are siblings in God's family. Your relationship to God is personal, that is very important, okay? Um, uh, the, the authors, uh, William Willimon and Stanley Hauerwas, in in their really good book on the Lord's Prayer, they say, yes, if you're a Christian, your relationship with Jesus, with God, is personal. It has to be. It has to start there. But it's not private, they say. It's personal, but it's not private. So how many times have you rolled your eyes over the last nine months during COVID? when corporations like McDonald's and Coca-Cola and your life insurance company and your, I don't know, your gas and electric company and celebrities say, we're all in this together. It doesn't feel like we're all in this together, especially while you're saying that from your beautiful mansion and people don't have health care or don't have the information they need to get what they need. How many times have we heard, in the most disingenuous way, we're all in this together over the last nine months? Does it look like we're all in this together? But when Jesus says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, He really means we're all in this together. And He has all the authority to say that and to make it happen. Think about inviting your friends over your house. Okay? Your friends can't just come into any house they want, whenever they want. If you walk into somebody's house, some stranger's house, we call it breaking and entering. You you can't just go into anybody's house you want. However, if you're friends with the owner's kids, well, now now you have a way of going in. My kids' friends can come to my house because they're connected to my kids. And so, in a sense, you bring your friends into your house to hang out and to spend, and do you know, play movies and watch video games and you know, whatever. By nature of your relationship to your parents, otherwise, otherwise, the kids are just going into a stranger's house. But if they're with you, they are welcome in the house because of their connection to you, because you belong. Your friends belong. And what Jesus is saying here in our Father in Heaven is, y'all. Because I belong, you belong. Gusto Gonzalez wrote it this way. He said, we are not praying alone even when we pray in private. In hundreds of different languages, in tall steeple churches, in small chapels with thatched roofs, privately and in the midst of multitudes, this great we, who are the body of Christ, raise our unanimous prayer, our Father. And you know, this anti-individualistic habit of praying our Father, it it fosters in each of us humility and a desire to be peacemakers like Jesus. And a desire to maintain, to achieve and maintain what the Apostle Paul calls in Ephesians chapter 4, the unity of the Holy Spirit by the bond of peace. And so the ancient church father, the famous preacher John Chrysostom, he said this about our Father in heaven. He said, Jesus, by teaching us to pray this way, He at once takes away hatred and quells pride and casts out envy and brings in the mother of all good things, charity and exterminates the inequality of human beings and shows how far the equality reaches between the king and the poor man. And he wraps it up by saying, we are all of us fellows. If there ever was a time in American society for Christians to pray the Lord's Prayer, it is now. Because when you think of other Christians who embarrass you, or who frustrate you, or who make you angry, or whom you don't understand, remember, the Lord Jesus is saying to you, those are your brothers and sisters. And when we pray our Father, we are to remember them as well. So, cultivate in your life a childlike response to God as our Father in heaven. Yours and mine ours. Here's just a a simple example of how you might do it. Father, I praise you. I worship you because you created all things and still you created us. And even though you're beyond our comprehension, yet you are lovingly close and you've reached out to me and you've reached out to us. And so I praise you and worship you. Father, I confess, we confess that we're often nearsighted and we're often selfish and we don't see and look beyond our own immediate needs. And and we act often like spoiled children who take your love and your mercy and your generosity for granted and, and, and take for granted the fact that you've put us, you've saved us into a family and into a community. And so, Father, thank you. Thank you that you've adopted us. Thank you that I didn't deserve it. I had no claim on on this relationship, but you adopted me anyway. And just as my best behavior didn't earn that, my worst behavior can't undo that. Thank you, Father. And now, Father, we ask you for those in our lives, where we live and where we work and where we study, um, and in our families. Lord, we ask now for those who don't yet know you as their father. Oh Lord, would You reach them also? Would You speak to them and send them the mercy and grace of our Lord Jesus? And would You reach them as well and make them Your children? Alright, now that's just a way of praying our Father in Heaven. And actually, there are, there are seven parts to the Lord's Prayer. There are seven days in the week. So for instance, just one day of the week, all of your prayers can be focused on God as our Heavenly Father. And I don't know if you notice this, but so I've used the, the template, uh, Acts, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. Look, it's just a method. It's just a routine. You don't have to use it. It's not in the Bible. But I'm showing you an illustration. There's, there's Adoration in there. There's Confession in there. There's Thanksgiving in there. And then there's Asking. There's Supplication in there. So that was simply an illustration of how you can pray our Father in heaven, uh, by using the adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication framework. One day of the week or one hour of the day. Just some practical examples of how to make the Lord's Prayer practically, effectively, functionally a part of your life, a part of the habits of our faith community. Okay, So cultivating your prayer is a childlike response to God as your Heavenly Father, as our Heavenly Father. And what this does for us is it rehabilitates you out of the habit of approaching God on your own terms. You've got to get out of the habit of approaching God the way you want to think of Him and see Him. I don't mean to sound um, uh, difficult, but there is no place in your relationship with your Heavenly Father for you to imagine Him the way you want to. The Heidelberg Catechism from 1563. The 121st question (laughs) asks us this. Uh, It says, why, talking about the Lord's Prayer and our Father in Heaven, the Catechism asks, why is it added who art in Heaven? And the answer they give is that we may have no earthly thought of the heavenly majesty of God that we may have no earthly thought of the majesty of God. God is not in the business of awarding honorary degrees in righteousness. He's not going to look at you and go, wow, you're just so steeped and knowledgeable about living a good moral life. You've done so well, I'm going to recognize you, and here's your honorary degree in righteousness, because you've earned it and you've proved it. He doesn't hand those out, because you'll never earn it. And you can't earn his love, and you can't prove to him that you're worthy enough. And guess what? You don't have to. Because he offers his righteousness to you as a gift. We call it grace. The New Testament calls it grace. It's what Paul says in Romans is the gospel that now a righteousness from God has been revealed in Jesus Christ and given to all who have faith in him. It's a gift. So you don't need to earn your way to Him and prove your, your way into His favor and love. On the other hand, neither is God some corrupt, unstable tyrant that you can never trust or figure out so that you're always trying to have to cover all the bases and figure out how can I manipulate this authority figure in my life so that things go well for me and things don't get crazy. He's not an unpredictable, horrible tyrant. He has proven again and again that His promises and his love are irrevocable. He doesn't take his love and favor away. Oh, he may not live up to your expectations of what he should be doing, but he will never remove from you his favor or or renege on his promises. You know, human chaos began when Adam and Eve believed the serpent's representation of who God was. You ever think about that? We have inherited sin, you and I are born sinful because Adam and Eve decided to believe what Satan said God was. And the Bible tells us they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And what, what they began to do and what we have inherited from them is we misrepresent God in our minds and we misappropriate what God says and what his intentions are for our lives and for the world. That's when chaos started. So it is the height of arrogance and presumption for me, for you, to have any other conception of God that does not agree with and does not come from His holy revealed Word in the Scriptures and what His Son, Jesus Christ, has revealed of Him. And so when Jesus teaches us to pray the words, our Father in heaven, He is teaching us that we really can belong. Not because of how we think and what we do, but because of how He thinks and what He has done. Jesus teaches us that we really can belong because of Him. Because of Him as a mediator, He mediates the broken relationship between us and our Heavenly Father. He alone had the authority to talk like this, to say, our Father in heaven. He alone had the authority, and so He alone can invite you and invite me to talk like this to our Creator, our Father in heaven. Because Jesus, as God in the flesh, God became a human being, and Jesus, from womb to tomb, He he fulfilled the role of a child perfectly, the role of a son, the role of an heir. Think about the incarnation and how God became a human being in the virgin birth. Think of the virgin birth. Think of how Mary was conceived not by a human being, not by Joseph, but by the Holy Spirit. See, no human earthly man could claim to be Jesus' father. Jesus had one dad. Jesus had one father, his father in heaven. And even at the age of 12, Luke's gospel records that he already knew that by then. You might remember in Luke chapter 4, his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast, and they left, and the caravan's moving away, and then they had a home alone experience. Ah! Where's Jesus? So they go all the way back, they find him in the temple, he's in the temple with the scholars and the priests and the religious professionals, and he's blowing them all away, this 12-year-old kid, because of how he's talking about Scripture in the Old Testament and God. And they were amazed. And his parents said, look, where have you been? And, and he said to them, Luke records it this way. Did I miss it? Ah. He said to his parents, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Twelve years old. My father's house. And that way of thinking continued with Jesus through His earthly life into adulthood. And He would say things during His ministry to His disciples. Like in John chapter 4, He would say to them, My food, My sustenance, is to do the will of Him who sent Me and to accomplish His work. He would say things like, I never speak unless My, whole, my heavenly Father shows Me what to say. You know, ancient Israel, the ancient Israelites in the greeks and the romans and you and i we have never really embraced this relationship that's god's initiated with us we we don't really want him to be our father not naturally not by nature we want him to solve our lives and make the world a better place and make our relationships work out, and, and make sure that we have what we need. We want all of that, but we really don't want him. We don't want another parent intruding into our lives and our thinking, and reordering things. We don't want that. And you know, the proof of it is the Israelites, when they looked at the glory of God on Mount Sinai, they begged Moses to keep them away from the presence of the Almighty God. They could not deal with it. And the other proof of it is that when God sent his only son to represent him to truly represent who he is and how he thinks and who you are we killed him We don't want God to be our father we you do not want him to be your father not naturally You need Jesus' help. There's no other way for you to relate to your Creator as a father unless Jesus shows you how. And not only does He show you how, He made it possible. He fully embraced this parent-child relationship. Which is why John's Gospel says in John chapter 1, to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. And Jesus said in another place in Matthew chapter 12, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. You see, we belong to God. We belong in God's house as children because your adoption papers have been stamped with the blood of Jesus Christ, who died in your place. The perfect son died in the place of the rebellious sons and daughters. Right? The, the, the prodigals are brought back into the household because our perfect big brother took our place and paid our fine and has reconciled us to our father. And that, that, that adoption paper with your name on it, stamped with the blood of Jesus, that ink is indelible. That ink is irrevocable. That ink is sealed in heaven for you. So you really can pray knowing that you are praying because you belong. This is the right and the only good motivation to come to our Creator because we already belong because Jesus has made it possible. You pray because you belong in your Father's house. You belong to Him and you belong to us. We belong to each other. So let's cultivate in our prayer lives childlike responses to God as our Father in Heaven. And stop coming to Him with false impressions of who He is based on your difficult experiences. Let Jesus redeem your idea of what it means to have a Heavenly Father. That's the only, that's the only way to heal our broken relationships and our conceptions of who God truly is. To let Jesus bring us into the household and say, hey, I belong here. I belong here. And I'm telling you, you belong here with me. Um, The other thing I want to say is Jesus made it possible and necessary for you to need each other to relate better to your heavenly Father. You cannot be a Christian in a healthy way if you do not have your brothers and sisters walking alongside of you. We need each other to better relate to our Heavenly Father. In the same way that we need our big brother Jesus, we now need the fellowship of the Holy Spirit to better relate to our Heavenly Father. I promise you, if you try and do your Christianity alone, it will be harder and harder to relate to God as your Father. So let Jesus show you. Let Jesus redeem your idea of what your your Father in heaven is like. And I'm just going to close with these words from that wonderful hymn by Isaac Watts. O may thy house be my abode. There would I find a settled rest while others go and come. No more a stranger or a guest, but like a child at home. Let's pray. My Father, our Father, if there's been anything in me today, in my personality or my demeanor, or how, how I have spoken or held myself that has distracted my brothers and sisters and my friends here from truly hearing Your voice, from truly comprehending who You are as our Heavenly Father, then forgive me And I pray that despite my own weakness and my own sin, despite all of that, You would still come across clearly to us. Father, teach us how to pray and teach us how to relate to You as our Father. Draw us close to our Lord Jesus Christ as we follow Him to hear His words, to see Him on the cross, to see His empty grave, to await His return so that Your reign will be obvious to all of creation. Father, teach us how to pray, our Father in heaven. Amen.